Brick Moon Friction presents The Dead House by Suyi Davis Okungboa, narrated by Solomon Osadolo. The squeal from Paideas on the bricketed wheelchair punctures the afternoon silence as we go past the dead house. He moves the chair expertly along the uneven ground, tapping the nerve screen, unflustered by the friction in his wheels. I wince each time dry iron meets dry iron. It reminds me of the cringe-inducing hinge of the reception door back at home. I know they only started getting funding last year, but I mean, it's just a door hinge, guys. Why do you people call this place dead? I ask, when we roll past the building's towering grey metal gates, centred by two massive concrete pillars and an equally towering electrified fence. I know the house is never open and such. Yes, but why dead? You can't call something living if it doesn't have life in it, he says. His eyes dart to the building and its spaceship-like sheen and brow turned down at onlookers. The way Idia looks away, you'd think he just saw a naked woman. I'm not sure what he means, but I take it in stride. It's not simply because he's 79 and therefore his words should mostly be taken with a pinch of salt. It's that, though Idia and I have grown increasingly close in the three months I've been his assigned care medic at Zua Septuagenarian Home, I'm still not used to this former professor's quips. Same way I'm struggling to adapt to Benin City and its undulating roads and nosy neighbors and red dust of Hamatan. Can't even unpack my running shoes because one, where am I even going to run to? I'm tired of running anyway. And two, who wants to soak white Nikes in bleach after every run? But Benin has no machinos. Rated least likely to have machinos in the next 5 to 10 years. I think I'm good. At the end of the path, Immaculate Heart Primary School's massive green gates come into view to the west. We turn east though, where I settled Paidia into his favorite spot under a guava tree close to the wire fence. I click the chair's brakes into the sand, clear a spot on the ground next to him and settle in. It's nearly recess at IHPS, and as soon as I remember this, the bell rings. Usually, this is the point where the kids run out, little bundles of energy, racing straight for the playgrounds, auto swings and conveyor slides, lugging little lunch refrigerators, settling into semicircles in the green to trade mobile games and gobble up sandwiches. This is the point where Idia sighs, taking in the sights, sounds and smells of what brings him here on our weekly afternoon walks. This is where he reminds me that it's the way he intends to go out, listening to the generation that will remain after him experience life as a cluster, a little world of their own. For me, this is where I look up from my mobile, peer into the little human groups and spot my daughter, Laomi, and her newfound friend, Ehana, whose mom, Adesua, is coincidentally my newfound friend, running to me at the fence. They know I'm always here on Wednesdays with Idia. The beaded ends of Lyomi's plates would bounce as she runs, Ehana calling on her to wait that her two small shoes hurt from running. This is when my heart shifts for a minute. Then I remember, it's fine. It's okay. 
Lie on me is fine. We're okay. This is when I remember I don't have to run anymore. Today is different. Today, the bell rings for two minutes straight, yet nothing moves. Then it stops, and the air goes still. Idia frowns. Where are all the children? My mobile buzzes. I look down, and it's the headmaster's office. Nothing says wrong like the headmaster calling me on a day when kids are not allowed to go on break. Once I've ensured Idia is settled into his quarters at Zoa home, I race back to Immaculate Heart and head straight for the admin building. Mr. Abulele, the head teacher, is a small round man with a bald head and round augmented glasses. He's pacing outside the office and ushers me in once he sees me. Inside, Lyomi is seated in front of the desk. In the room are the other three school administrators whose names I always forget. The school counselor is a man with eyes that never say anything. The other two women are a pair I've never seen one half of alone. They frown upon me as I enter the room. Lyomi is quiet, fingering the beads at the end of her braids, her lips upturned. This is how I know they've upset my daughter real bad. I ignore them all and kneel before her. Hey, baby dear, are you okay? She nods, then glances at the headmaster and the administrators. Her lips twitch just so. What have you people done to my baby? My neck hits up and not in a way that brings good memories. Mrs. Balogun abulele starts. That's Miss Balogun, I cut in. If you spent enough time doing your job, you'll remember these little things. Miss Balogun, he says, your daughter was busy being in places she wasn't supposed to be. It wasn't break time yet, and she left to wander off on her own. We called you here because she found something. Something she shouldn't be finding. And he brings out a transparent bag and dumps it on the desk. Inside it is a rotten finger. A bump rises up to my throat. Jesus. I step back. The administrators all look deadpan, like they see this every day. Your daughter found this, Abulele says. Found it in the field while prowling near the dead house. What? I'm not even sure who to ask or who to direct my question to. Oh my god, why is a human finger lying around your school? More like we are suspending your daughter for causing a ruckus, he says. Not only did she find this, she brought it in and started showing all the pupils, telling them she found it outside the wire fence. It took us hours to calm the mayhem. He tisks tisks. Mrs. Balogun, the whole school can't go on break because of your daughter. Who knows what they will do if we let them? What? I take my daughter by the hand, putting a palm over her eyes so she stops staring at the finger. Come, baby, come. Let's get out of this place. The thing that strikes me as I leave is not that the administrators all give me a certain look, a certain sneer, a slight elevation of their noses. It's that none of them, not even Headmaster Apulele, answered my question. 
and that no single person in Zua local government area can tell me what the dead house is and why it continues to be there. Especially when you can pick severed fingers from the grass right next to its fence. It's like it was so normal to them. I'm saying to Adesua, sitting in front of the big screen in her small living room. It's my weekend off and I'm spending it with her. Emi and Ehana are ensconced within some experiential reality helmets upstairs, laughing. Probably is, Adesua replies. She's light-skinned with a comely V-chain, tiny braids falling over her face. She wipes them away. Benin is a weird place. Zua, even more so. We see all kinds of things here. Like dead houses that cannot be explained. Like dead houses that cannot be explained, she repeats. For a second, I think she's about to give me an explanation, but she goes to refill our glasses of Zobo. How's the home job going? she asks. It pays, I say. And your man? What's his name? Paidia is not my man. Well, you guys spend a lot of time together. Ha <laughs> ha, he's not my type. She returns with the glasses. So, which one is your type? I hear there are some buff directors at home. I laugh. Don't even go there. Chooks and I are never going to happen. Why not? She makes a face that shows she can't be serious. He is quite the gentleman. And buff. And he is smart too. And buff. Also, never been married. Did I mention he's buff? Yes, he is, but... I draw circles around my glass. Nah. Hmm. And this was sips from her glass. I get it. You are not ready yet. Separation, divorce, restraining others. These are hard things. Especially when your ex is half man, half machine. Yeah. She pauses and mimics my circle drawing around her glass. Human Machino Unions. Who even thought of these things? Didn't anyone see that they too are just human, prone to extreme desires and outbursts, and lots of crazy? Throw that in with the fact that they are walking batter arms. <coughs> I guess everyone was just so fixated on the fact that life expectancies of Machinos are skyrocketing, I say. No one even thought of the idea that very soon they will outlive us, and everyone on earth will have some thing running their body. Adesua seems squirmish. Well, they say the government is trying to help people, really, right? They say it's good for old and sick people and such. They can live longer. Lots of people sign up for this stuff, Martha. It's not like they're pulling them off the street and performing experiments on them that leave them like that, you know? I do know. I mean, my ex-husband did choose to become one. No one thought about the fact that there were other effects to this though, like almost ruining my life and my daughter's with that metal hand. Well, I sip my zobo. I just want some peace and quiet me time with my daughter for now, you know. Let's enjoy life a little bit. I don't want to live on the edge all the time. It's great that you have come here then, Adesua says. Zua is mostly peace and quiet. If you decide that's what you want. 
As she sips from her glass, I watch the only friend I've made here trying to keep an unreadable face. I feel there's a message in there that I am not really getting. Like she's trying to tell me something without saying it. Heck, I feel like that's what's been happening since I moved down here. Folks all friendly, trying to get up in my space and tell me what I should do to thrive here. Warnings tucked into the pauses between their advice. Even when out on the overhead light rail or while queuing at the massive automated grocery point at the street corner, I can feel the way they look at me and my home uniform with a mixture of confusion and pity. Like they want to help me, but they can't. I know this feeling too well. I know uncertainty, discomfort in my own skin. I know impending ill. Those are the same reasons I packed up and left Lagos. The same reasons I bought the Nikes because I needed to breathe, to exist as myself. Yet, at every turn, these people make me feel like I've jumped ship from heating pot to stove. What they don't understand is, I really do not need any help. I did not come here to thrive, I came to hibernate, to heal from life's wounds. I don't want to do anything, not even run in my new Nikes. I simply want to exist in a bubble, in a place without time and space. I do not want more people, human or machino, and I certainly do not want them to come in body parts. I take Laomi into work on Monday morning because her suspension week ends on Wednesday and there's no one to take care of her until then. I know Paidia will be happy to see her. It will be like a surprise 80th birthday gift. The few times they've met, it was like watching reincarnated soulmates interacting. Laomi shares his love for books and stories, and he shares her fascination for almost extinct animals. When I arrive by Idiot's quarters, the room is locked. I try my access thumbprint multiple times before I realize it's not just locked, but sealed off and my access revoked. I leave Laomi in the reception and march to the director's office. Shooks Anele is a young man, late 30s, with a permanent stressed look on his face even at weak beginnings like today. He already has his shirt sleeves folded to his elbows at 9 in the morning and his forehead is in a frown. I tap on his glass door and he thumbprints me in. What's up with Idia? I say. His quarters are locked. Um, we're assigning you to a new residence. He says without looking up, his fingers flying all over his table screen. Oh. Yes, he says, then looks up and sighs. <sighs> Sorry we didn't tell you about this earlier. He runs his hand over his face. It happened too quickly. What happened too fast? <sighs> he's gone. He returns to typing. I gasp. He's dead? Well, he cracks his neck. I'm sorry. People live a lot here, you know. I stand at the door, shaking my head. Can I, you know, see him? He pauses, typing again, as if I'm disturbing him, then resumes. Sorry, no. Why? Because he has been taken away. When? Earlier. So he died at night? He stops typing altogether. Look, uh, Amanda. Martha. Martha, right, right. Yes, forgive me. We try not to get attached to our residence here, you get? 
it's best if you put this behind you as quickly as possible. The best for everyone, okay? What is wrong with this guy? Aside from him looking disheveled, like he'd slept here all night, he seems on edge, being too careful not to let something sleep. And this is the guy at this watch says I should take a chance on? Jokes. They assigned me to an old woman everyone calls Mommy Kitty. She is bitter and loud and keeps asking me why I'm not married. She asks me about Idia a lot too and why I'm taking care of her instead of him. I can't bring myself to tell her he's dead and I can't tell Laomi either. I settle for telling them he has gone to live with family. At night, when I'm leaving with Laomi for the light rail station, there are lights on the dead house in the distance. I might have just caught the gates closing and may or may not have seen a couple of vehicles parked in there. For a moment, I think the universe is mocking me, giving me a glimpse of the dead house only because I have seen death, and therefore end a peek into its abode. I call up Idia's next of kin, his younger brother, to offer my condolences. The voice at the other end is chirpy, not at all voice of mourning. Ah, he lived a good life the man says when I muster courage to ask what the hell is so exciting. He offered himself to the service of humanity and everyone has been well compensated for it. This is not a thing of sadness but of joy. His statements make my body feel like an alien entity in this weird new world. And this is when I first think it's time to leave Zua. But then I think of the life I found here, helping people, doing something for myself for once. Do I really want to take Laomi back to Lagos and all its walking reminders of Machinos, reminding her of her father's metal arm slamming into her mother's stomach? Idia's brother is right. This is a thing of joy. Laomi goes back to school after midweek and returns home crying. No one in school is talking to her. Everyone ignores her, calls her cursed, calls her a cannibal. They say she ate someone and forgot to finish off the fingers. Some brave kids whisper to her, didn't she know that no one ever went to the dead house? She was cursed as it was now because she came back. No one from here who ever went into the dead house came back. What exactly is it about this place no one will talk about? I say, speaking to Adesua over my mobile later at night as Lyomi sleeps restlessly beside me. Even you. It's not for us to talk about, Adesua says. Let it be. Your daughter found a human finger. It's normal to receive some difficulty from her peers for that. Let her suck it up and work her way back into their circles. I can't believe what I'm hearing from the one person I consider a friend here. And I find it difficult to sleep at night. I wake up cranky. And after dropping Laomi off at school, with a warning to stay engaged and ignore anyone giving her trouble, and back at Zua to start the day with Mommy Okiti and her sharp mouth. I is it true? She asks me as I lead her out to the balcony for her afternoon walk. She doesn't walk much, arthritis having taken over her knees, so our afternoon circles are smaller distances than my adventures with Idia. I is it true that they took Idia to the dead house? What? I'm beyond myself. Come. What is this place and why are you people so obsessed with it? 
How can you people talk so much about something you're so scared of? She works her mouth as if she's about to tell me something. But Shooks comes around the balcony right then, flanked by two orderlies, and the woman freezes. Later, Okiti says, later. By afternoon, I have been reassigned. By evening, I have drawn up my resignation letter. Tell me right now, I say to Adesua over the phone, or I'm going over there. I can't, Adesua swallows audibly. I'm sorry. Sorry for yourself. My neck heats up, my pulse quickening. Has Eana ever been scarred by a severed human finger? Hmm? Has she been alienated, treated as second class in school? Have you been bullied by administration because you dared to stand for someone you care about? I, I'm sorry. This is in sniffles now. I'm trying so hard to be your friend, but you're making it hard. Goodbye. I took my mobile into my trouser pocket and look up at the dead house gates in front of me. First glance and now I can truly tell it doesn't fit in here. Zua houses are small, state government employed folk, civil servants with no investments and serious hopes in their retirement funds. They only just got light rail a few years ago, and some still use solar power. This gate, however, is made of metal I can't even recognize. It's so shiny gray, it's almost silver. I can't even tell if it's paint or pure metal. I raise my hands to knock. Wait. Truth is, what I'm supposed to do is pack up and leave this goddamn town. What the fuck? How could everyone behave like this monster monolith and its everlasting frown did not cast a shadow over the local government area and cause people to live in perpetual fear without actually knowing what the dead house can do? Or they did know and just refused to tell her because she's an outsider? I should go. I should really pack up and go. I knock. There is no response, of course. I'm there for a few bits. Then knock again. No response. I'm not going to leave, I say. I have all day, and I will not leave until you tell me what you've done with Paidia. I sit on the ground. After a few seconds, the gates slide open. I shuffle in, tentative. The gates slide close behind me. The lights come on, and I see the house itself. Same shiny gray metal, big pillars, and no obvious doors or windows. There are a couple of vehicles packed around, but no one in them. State your purpose, someone says. I look around. What? Who's there? Answer the question. What the hell? Where are you? I can't see anyone. I am in front of you. There's nothing in front of me. Just a house. Ooh, it talks. Oh, wow. State your purpose. I'm, uh, I'm looking for Paidia. I say, I need to know what happened to him. The dead house is silent for a second, as if thinking. Then, a nearby vehicle, a small Nigerian driverless brand modeled after the Kia Picanto of the 2010s, turns on its lights, rolls over to me and opens the door. My daughter found a finger outside this building's fence. No way in hell I'm going with a car. I just want to know what happened to him, I say. I don't want to go anywhere. You don't want to see him? It looks like the car is talking now. 
But I know it's the whole damn system wired into everything. No, just tell me. Again, the house seems confused when it asks, why? Yes, Martha, why? I ask myself, why not turn around now, take your daughter and get out of this fucking city? No more running, I say. No more unfinished business. I will take what I want and walk away with it. I want to know what happened to Idia, then I will walk away. The house pauses again. The car door shuts and returns to its parking place. He is in critical care. Critical what? What's he doing there? He is recuperating, post-procedure. What procedure? I cannot offer you that information. Is the home in on this? I cannot offer you that information. Oh wow, this is some shit. This is some collab between you all, isn't it? This town, this whole goddamn government. The house is silent. Answer me. You have not asked a question. What are you doing to Paidia? The procedure he assigned us to perform on his 80th birthday. What procedure? I cannot offer you that information. Why? I am not allowed to. Why? The house seems exasperated. You have asked a question outside my assigned rights. And who assigns these rights? The volunteers, the house says. They are the sole deciders of what information we offer to inquiries. Volunteers? Paidia volunteered to be put on a table and cut open? I don't believe it. The only people who volunteer to be put on a table and ripped open are mostly machinos. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. He's becoming a machino. I cannot offer you that information. What body part is he replacing? I cannot offer you that information. It's legs, isn't it? So he can walk. I know he has a bad heart too. That's it, isn't it? I cannot offer you that information. The home is offering you their residence for this, aren't they? You're the one who funds the whole of Zua. The home, the light rail. You keep this LGA running for a steady supply of subjects. The house is silent. And when you're done, you don't keep them here. You take them somewhere. To Lagos or some other state with lots of machinos. A breeze winds through the trees clustered nearby and makes hooting noises. Who owns you though? The LGA? State government? Federal? The United States? China? I cannot offer you that information. I exhale. <sighs> okay, okay. I leave the house. The gates slide open. I am truly surprised that they do. Right before the house reads off a script to me. You cannot offer this information to anyone or anything outside this town. The corporation exists under a statute of silence. If broken, we will pull up and leave. Zua will fall apart. Benin will be left behind the surging economies of Nigeria and the world. Think about this before you speak about us. Yeah, that's no problem for me. Whole town's dead to me anyway. Lion, me and I load up our bags into the luggage chutes in the light rail. We thumbprint the seat panels and the conveyor takes us and dumps us in the bucket seats and straps us in. My daughter's cheeks are wet. I reach across and clean them. I'm sorry, I think. This is the last time. It truly is. I mean, 
for the first time since I bought them, I am wearing my Nikes. But not as running shoes, no. As the shoes with which I will walk back into Lagos and stake my life there. Old places, old things, old faces, but a new me. The light rail hums. The familiar giddiness of its inertia washes over me and I ride it, surfing on its waves into a new beach, a new start, a new me. For real, this time. The end. Sui Davis Okungboa is a writer and storyteller freelancing out of Lagos, Nigeria. He writes mostly speculative fiction and has works published or forthcoming in international magazines like Fireside, Podcastle, The Dark Magazine, Mothership Zeta, Omenana, and Jungle Gym. He has also published in the anthology Lights Out Resurrection and is forthcoming in A World of Horror. His speculative story about Lagos restaurants of tarts and new beginnings was longlisted for the 2017 Nomo Awards for Best Short Story. And it was also longlisted for the 2017 Right Citizen Short Story Prize with Like Stars Over the Lonely Ocean. In 2016, he won the Naked Converse's Pan-African Writing Contest, The Writer. A lot of his fiction work examines issues of identity, community, and belonging. Solomon Osadolo is a writer, content strategist, and narrator based in Lagos, Nigeria. He is the editor-in-chief of Forloop Weekly, a bi-weekly newsletter for software developers and tech enthusiasts in Africa. As a writer who works in the technology space, Solomon has put in work at some of the best tech startups in Nigeria and continues to work on exciting projects for top brands within and beyond the continent. He blogs at osadolo.com.